Okay, welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast, and we have a special episode for you this week. Some of you may be aware of the fact that we recently launched a um, premium membership um, version of the site, and one of the features of that membership is that you do actually get to ask us to get companies onto the podcast, um, any company at all that we can we can persuade to come on that's uh, already listed. Um, and the first one that's been nominated by our readers is actually uh, ProStar in the US. Uh, ProStar is a company we've covered before on the podcast, but uh, backed by popular demand uh, because uh, you wanted CEO Paige Tucker back on the uh, on the program. So Paige has very kindly agreed to come on and, and take some more questions from us. So well, welcome to the podcast, Paige. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Basically, what I thought we would start with is for those people who aren't familiar with ProStar, I mean, you can go back to previous podcasts we've done, and I would um, encourage you to also go to the website because there's quite a lot of information on ProStar there already. Um, but could you just give us um, a quick summary on the company and, and what it does? Sure. So uh, ProStar is a software technology company, and our flagship product is called Pointman, which is a precision mapping solution. And it's designed to precisely capture, record, and display the precise location of critical infrastructure, both above and below ground, including buried utilities and pipelines. So we can actually identify where critical infrastructure is, including what's buried below the ground, down to the centimeter on a uh, standard mobile device, such as your cell phone. So effectively, you're 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 a you're a technology company, and and Point Man is um, a data product that is accessible by anybody who's in the business of digging things up, like construction companies, engineering companies, um, potentially specialist surveyors, and guys like that. Yeah, when you think of critical infrastructure, particularly what's buried uh, below the ground, there's uh, several markets that we can serve. So you have the utility owner or the pipeline owner. And then you have the construction companies that actually design and build the asset. And then you have engineering firms, companies that actually go out and will uh, locate and identify where the utilities and pipelines are buried. So we we'll cover the full life cycle of, uh, of the buried assets. And uh, it was originally you came on the podcast right at the back end of March of this year. So there has been um, quite a lot of development since then. And I, I think um, investors would be uh, obviously most interested to get an update from you on, on progress um, um, since the end of the first quarter of this year. Um, looking back on the last sort of six months or so, I guess the big, the big news was actually the launch of Point Man itself as, as a product. Um, at the time, I remember you were you were over the moon at getting that rolled out and getting that out into the industry. Can you can you give us some some flavor on just how important a launch that has been for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So let me go back a little bit here. So um, we developed uh, our initial product over five years ago, and had the good fortune of bringing on some major clients, Fortune 500 government agencies one of the largest subsurface utility engineering firms in North America to test our solution and, and give us feedback. And then once they adopted it for their commercial operations, 
then you know we really knew that that we had something that we could then go out and commercialize and market uh, throughout the rest of the uh, industry. So one thing we did though, which most companies don't have the luxury of doing, is that once you've developed something and you've put you know five or six years into it, you always get what I call market intelligence and feedback on things that you would like to change in the system. And sometimes you have limitations because of the way you either develop the technology or maybe technology has continued to advance to the point that you can do things now that you couldn't do previously. Um, it's actually called innovator's dilemma where you're sometimes stuck with what you've developed, especially if you've commercialized a product. But we took a step back and decided to completely redevelop um, our platform, knowing that it could take up to three years and cost several millions of dollars, we made the decision to do that, and it was the right decision. And uh, you know, we had the luxury and the resources to do it, and we launched that um, at the end of the first quarter. And as a result of that, we're starting to see a greater adoption in the market because it's much easier to use, it's much easier to administer. Um, it works anywhere in the world, in any language and in any currency, so it makes us uh, globally scalable. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting to be able to finally launch that because you never actually know how long something like that is going to take. I mean, you kind of you know, lick your finger and pick a target, if you will, but can you actually hit that target within uh, what you forecasted as far as the expenditure and the time frame required? And uh, fortunately, we did. And and the other thing that that uh, has been happening is obviously the um, technology seems to be winning wider recognition within the um, the U.S. utility space and um, also um, in uh, academia as well in America. I know it's got some sort of recognition from the kind of state level um, utility regulators. Can you can you explain a bit more about that and, and how that came about and how important that is um, for the company? A couple of years ago, Colorado Department of Transportation um, adopted our software to test on a major project, which was the I-70 expansion, which is, that's the busiest interstate in the United States. And this section was 11 miles of expansion that goes right through uh, Denver, Colorado. So, I mean, it impacts thousands of utilities uh, through that area. In fact, Kiwit, which is the largest infrastructure construction company in North America that's actually doing the construction, um, said one of that was one of the most complex projects as far as the amount of utilities that were buried in the ground than any other project that they had ever been on. So, after testing it, uh, basically for two years, because it's a five-year project that could be in excess of $2 billion. The state measured and quantified uh, the impact that we had on reducing damages to utilities during construction and decided that they would mandate our software. So on January 14th of this year, the state mandated our software into law. So if you are a utility company or you're a municipality or a pipeline company or a construction company or an engineering or surveying company, anybody involved in either the construction or maintenance of utilities and pipelines are required by law to use our software to identify precisely where those utilities and pipelines are buried in the ground, if it's on a state right away, and then report that information back to the state. And of course, what that has done is number one, give us incredible amount of uh, visibility and credibility 
in the market that we would have a state actually mandate our software into law. But initially what it does is it forces these large companies and utilities and municipalities to use our software. And I'm sure at first they, I mean, at first they just look at it as something else that's enforced by the state. But once they start using it, they immediately recognize the value that it can provide in enhancing and improving their own business practices and workflow processes. And as a result, we're not only getting adoption by companies that are located here in Colorado, we're getting a, a recognition and adoption by companies that have operations throughout the United States and even throughout North America. Yeah, if you sit back and look at it, this is this could be quite interesting for you guys because you can actually, I mean, I know you're located in Colorado and, and it's all, it makes it obvious that uh, that might be where you start off. But I mean, there are another 49 US states there, a similar kind of mandate from more of those. And, and you can quickly actually see how, how that could make a, um, a lot of money for ProStar at the end of the day. Well, the other thing we're seeing as well, and we're, we are in discussions with several um, other states that are interested in, you know, adopting and replicating uh, what Colorado has done. Because at the end of the day, it's all about public and environmental safety, which is obviously first and foremost what the state, um, you know, is trying to enforce and protect. But what we're also seeing is we recently acquired our first municipality. So now we're starting to move into the municipal space. And municipalities is where you have um, all of your water systems and sewer systems, and in some cases, even uh, broadband. And our water systems and our sewage systems, in most cases, are between 50 to uh, 100 years old. So they're in serious need of repair and replacement. So what some states are doing is actually mandating that all municipalities need to be able to digitally report the precise location of where their water systems are and their sewage systems. Well, that creates a major problem for some municipalities because the majority of small municipalities do not have a digital asset management system to be able to identify and report where their waters, water systems and sewer systems are located. Most of them are still using paper maps called as-builds that are in a file drawer somewhere. So we signed our first municipality and now we're in discussions with several more. And just in the United States alone, there's 30,000 municipalities with a population of under 10,000. And my estimate is that the majority of those smaller municipalities do not have any type of digital mapping system to identify where any of their assets are. So that I think is a tremendous opportunity for us um, with a incredible um, you know, total addressable market that I think we can penetrate and recognize a large amount of those municipalities. So I'm pretty excited about that. And in addition to that, as you mentioned, we also moved into the utility space um, with the signing of our first utility, which is a major fiber optic company. And now we're in discussions with another fiber optic company. So we're also starting to expand into the other vertical markets, which is pretty exciting. And in some cases, I think has more potential than the markets that we've been focusing on, which has been construction and engineering and surveying, and of course, the state level. So you mentioned fiber optics. I mean, I know when we've had previous discussions, um, we've talked a lot about the aging infrastructure. You mentioned sewage systems, water systems, potentially 
gas and oil pipes. But the fiber optics issue is actually quite a big one, isn't it? Because you've got companies that are wanting to upgrade a lot of the telecommunications infrastructure across the US and, in fact, in other parts of the world as well, where they're actually laying a whole new set of infrastructure across whatever is already there under the ground. So I'm guessing for you, fiber optics companies, that sector could be a massive growth area. Absolutely. There's, well, I'll give you an example of what you're talking about. So it's estimated that there's as much as 300,000 miles of new fiber optic being installed in the United States annually. And that's a big number. But there's currently 35, 000, or 35 million miles of buried utilities that are currently in the ground. And that 300,000 miles of fiber optic is crossing over the existing 35 or 35 million miles of buried utilities in the ground, which creates a serious issue if, number one, you don't know where the current utilities are located in the ground, there's a high probability that you're going to hit what's currently buried in the ground and you're going to cause damages. And those damages can be serious. I mean, you know, yeah, if you hit a water line, maybe you're going to have some flooding or you hit some existing uh, fiber optic lines. Maybe there's some uh, disruption as far as, you know, the ability to operate your business until they can uh, fix it and reconnect it. But the real challenge is, you know, you hit a uh, petroleum line, you're going to have some dangerous um, liquids that are leaking into our water systems, potentially into our rivers and our lakes and the ocean. You hit a high pressure gas line, high probability of an explosion that can injure uh, the worker, the public, and in worst case scenarios, um, loss of life. And I would argue that that's actually happening tar far too frequently, and that number is only increasing um, every year. So, yeah, with it's not just fiber optic either. It's everyone realizes, especially with this infrastructure bill, it's um, front and center now because of the campaigning coming out of the White House and on the news that the public is aware that, you know, our, our roadways, our highways, railway systems are becoming dilapidated and in serious need of repair and replacement. And, you know, it's estimated that within the couple of weeks, there'll be a bill that's at least a trillion dollars to, uh, to address that issue. But part of that is also earmarked for our uh, drinking water systems, sewage systems, and also expansion of broadband, particularly in rural areas. Well, that's going to create... Uh, a major issue because I don't think everyone's aware of just how much infrastructure there is buried below the ground and how much need there is um, as far as repairing and replacing the buried infrastructure. But the two infrastructures above ground and below ground are actually connected and you can't work on one or the other without impacting each of them. And uh, I think that this issue of both above and below ground um, is going to become even more, if you will, um, you know, awareness shed on that to, to the public. And I think it's going to be um, something that, you know, we're well positioned and poised to be able to, um, you know, see and recognize a lot of business as a result of that over the next several years. I mean, this is obviously something um, a lot of investors will be very interested in. Um, in because of the infrastructure bill is getting a, a lot of coverage 
we're talking about some incredibly big numbers. Um, some comparisons are being made with sort of the the New Deal and the level of spending that happened in the 30s. As, as a company, you, you're right. I mean, you're sitting right in, in the center of that because for you, there must be tons of opportunities that's going to open up. Well, I like to think so. You know, number one, we have designed a very innovative and disruptive technology that can address, you know, the issue of identifying where this infrastructure is below ground down to the centimeter. That's number one. Uh, number two, we spent several years testing um, this new technology. Number three, we have adoption by some of the largest companies in the world. Um, government agencies, uh, also engineering and surveying firms, as well as the equipment manufacturers that actually manufacture the equipment that can help uh, identify where these buried utilities and pipelines are. So part of it is, you know, the adoption in the market by not only the large companies that have tested it, uh, but also the equipment manufacturers and again, you know, government agencies that are starting to uh, to mandate it. So yeah, I think we've reached that point that number one, we've proven that we can deliver on uh, what we promised, which is disruptive. And also I think that with this infrastructure bill, again, this is front and center an issue right now. It's not only an issue in the United States, um, it's an issue globally that can affect the economy of very, very large company, our countries throughout the world. And we're also starting to see adoption in other countries too. We're working with a large group um, up in Canada. Um, I'm pretty confident that we're gonna sign them. We had a municipality that called us that we're meeting actually um, on Friday, tomorrow. Uh, so we're starting not only to um, get visibility and recognition, for the first time we're having, you know, companies and municipalities that are starting to to call us. So, um, you know, I think our, our name is out there now and, uh, you know, industries are becoming aware of, of who ProStar is. So maybe we're hitting that pivotal, what I like to call tipping point, where we're going to start to see um, increased recognition and adoption in the market, which of course is the CEO of a company, that's what you're always uh, aiming for. And uh, one of the things that, that has happened since, since we last had you on the podcast was that the deal with Kramer. Can you can you give us a bit more um, flesh on the bones about that and, and how important that's been for, for you as a business? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, we're starting to get adoption by um, several companies in several different vertical markets. One of them was uh, Kramer. So actually, I'm glad you asked that question because Kramer's a perfect example. So Kramer is a uh, national infrastructure construction company with operations throughout the United States, but they also build uh, infrastructure like highways, uh, the railway systems for the Colorado Department of Transportation. So once again, by law, they were used, they were forced to use our software. Once they started using it, they recognized again, the value that it could provide for their own internal operations. And as a result, they adopted our solution as well. So it's just an example of how companies are starting to realize and recognize the value that our software can, can provide. And some of these are big, big infrastructure construction companies. Well, once one company starts using something and it gives them a competitive advantage, 
and streamlines their business operations, it almost forces the other companies to take a look at it and potentially adopt it as well. And so, you know, we have now several large construction companies that are testing our software, looking to adopt it, several large engineering and surveying firms, other DOTs that I mentioned, uh, which are state department of transportations that are looking to adopt our software as well. And obviously the more adoption you get in the market, the more companies that you have using your software, the more exposure you have to the market to other companies and you know that should result in a significant increase in the amount of companies that we're talking to about utilizing our software and obviously the opportunity to sell them and you know sign up on annual service agreements to to implement our software throughout their business operations and i guess it's important to stress that um this is not just a, a u.s solution that this is something that I mean, you've mentioned Canada already, but uh, effectively this could be rolled out by uh, uh, construction companies, utilities all over the planet. Yeah, there's nothing we have to do to our software for it to work in other parts of the world. So literally, that's one of the reasons why we redeveloped our platform and moved over to uh, AWS, which is Amazon um, Web Services. So our platform is now available in any country in any part of the world, works in any currency, and in any language. And we can precisely locate where utilities and pipelines are buried down to the centimeter operating off of a standard mobile device, be it your smartphone or a tablet. So in addition to that, we're already starting to see adoption, as you mentioned, into other countries. So we're working with a firm in Canada. I'm pretty confident that We'll be announcing relatively soon that uh, our technology was adopted and that now we're now moving into Canada. We're also already on projects um, in Canada. One of our clients is Kiwit. That's the largest infrastructure construction company in North America. And uh, we started out in infrastructure with them, but have since moved into other divisions, including LightRail. So it's our software that's on the um, Ottawa uh, LightRail construction project in Ontario. We're also working with a group out of Australia that's testing um, our software right now and testing is going very well. And the reason I say testing is because when you come out with a disruptive technology, it's hard for people to believe that you can actually do what you say you can do. Even though they know that at some point in time, modern technology is gonna replace a lot of old business practices, you know, antiquated workflow processes. But when you find when someone finally brings that technology out, it's still hard for them to believe that you can actually deliver on that. So initially what we have to do, and it's getting less and less and less now, but people want to test it. And so when I say we're moving into Canada, it's kind of funny because companies will be Okay, this might work in the United States, but does it work in Canada? Which, you know, it's kind of funny to us because, of course, it, this will work anywhere. But when you're talking about algorithms and post-processing of data and different parts of the world have different um, curvatures, you know, they just question, you know, does this work in this part of the world as well? So it's currently being tested in Canada. We're working with a very large data collection company in Australia 
that also is in Papua New Guinea and recently acquired another large data collection company uh, in the UK. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about the fact that we're starting to see adoption um, in other parts of the world as well, even though that wasn't necessarily uh, part of our initial um, execution plan, which was to focus on the United States. I mean, this is this is a big market, but already, you know, if you've got something and it works and it works anywhere in the world, I, I think the cat is going to get out of the bag at some point in time and you're going to start to see adoption in other parts of the world. Fortunately, we built our platform to be able to manage and execute and take you know advantage of the opportunity in other parts of the world without having to change anything in our technology platform now. You mentioned Canada. Um, I, I, I know you were granted a, a patent in Canada for the technology. Given that, that as you say, you're a disruptive um, technology company, what, what is the sort of current patent situation in terms of uh, protecting the IP? Yeah, that's uh, again, that's I'm glad you brought that up. So um, it's somewhat unprecedented for an early stage startup technology company to have, you know, any number of patents. But it's definitely unprecedented for an early stage startup technology company to have as many as we have. We have a very extensive IP portfolio now. So the patent that was just issued was a Canadian patent. Um, now gives us 20 issued patents. So these aren't pending patents. These are issued patents. And they're what is known as pioneer patents. So we are the pioneer in patenting the methodologies and processes required to digitally capture, record, and display where buried utilities and pipelines are in the ground. And our focus was always on North America. I mean, this is a big market. And as a small company, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had the resources to be able to uh, process these patents and also prosecute these patents. So even though someone might say, well, why didn't you do it for, you know, Europe or the rest of the world? Well, the reality of it is that would be very expensive. Um, so our focus was North America. So again, Canada and the United States. And to date, we have 20 issued patents, which basically create a moat around the processes that are required to be able to do what we do, which again, you know, is digitally capture and record and display where utilities and pipelines are buried below the ground, particularly down to the accuracies we're talking about, which is the, uh, the centimeter. I've also got to ask you a difficult question because um, our readers have asked me and, and we've got you back on the podcast um, at their request. Um, so there, there are investors in the in the share price who like the company. Um, they like the story. Um, they're big fans, but they have been since since you since you listed um, in Canada and subsequently listed in in Frankfurt as well. Um, the share price has been um, heading south more or less. Um, can you can you give us some background on on why that is because a lot of people i mean I've, I've spoken to investors myself who are a bit baffled by that because they think that the, the the share price should actually be um higher than it is yes and uh you know one thing i don't want to do is you know come up with a with, with with a whole bunch of excuses no no one wants to hear that the only thing i can do is be you know transparent and truthful and and, and give you 
know, my opinion on why that is. And this is actually some of the feedback that I'm even getting back from the uh, investment firms that we work with and also, you know, the brokers, which a lot of them have, you know, fairly large stake uh, in ProStar. Um, last year, especially the micro cap capital markets, uh, in particular in Canada on the venture, had a pretty good run. And the reason they had such a good run, believe it or not, in some cases was because of, of COVID. No one could go anywhere. Uh, you know, that they, they were either at home working away or they were in the office uh, working away. And the micro cap market had a really, really good run. Well, COVID, which I think everyone thought would go away or at least, you know, dissipate a little bit in some cases, there's a little bit of concern out there that it hasn't dissipated or gone away as fast as they had hoped for. And in fact, we're starting to see uh, an increase. And there's um, a little bit of hesitation out in the market right now. And what's happened since February is the market has steadily decreased and there's been an incredible amount of stress on the market. So it's not only uh, ProStar, it's the majority of microcap companies, their, their share price have continued to decline. And normally there's an old saying out there that says, um, sell in May and stay away, which means the summer months, there's going to be no activity because everyone goes away, kids are out of school, and the market just naturally declines. And then things pick back up in the fall around September when everybody goes back to school, everybody comes back to work, and then there's more activity, and then the market regains itself. And there's a lot of opportunities to invest you know, at the end of the summer, and the brokers know that. Well, this year, what I'm hearing is they, they, should, have, they should have sold in February and stayed away because it was February actually where the market began to just steadily decline. Now, interestingly enough, and as depressing as it is, and I hate to watch the share price on a daily basis, but I don't mind sharing with everyone I do. I probably look at it, you know, 10 or 15 times a day, hoping that something will start to turn around. Now, as far as ProStar is concerned, if you take a look at what we've done since January 11th, which is the date that we went public, and our opening share price was 40 cents. I think today we're around 43 or 44 cents. And you take a look at the milestones that we've achieved. Most of them are pressed released because they're material change. So you can just go to our website and take a look at the news and see what we've done over the last eight months. It's interesting because I would argue we've done more in the last 18 months than we did in the previous five years. And yet our share price has increased by four cents to where, you know, as compared to where we are today. And yet we've, we've reduced an incredible amount of risk and liability based on the milestones we've achieved, including the customers that have adopted our software, the patents that have been issued, the new complete PointMan Pro platform that took us over three years to develop that we released, the new vertical markets that we're moving into. So I'm obviously biased. I think there's incredible value in where our share price is today. And based on what I know we're going to be able to execute on, even for the balance of the year. So 
again, I don't make any excuses and I don't have a crystal ball and there's some things that I just don't have any control over. The one thing I can control and that we are controlling is that we continue to execute and this disruptive software that we've developed is now in the market being used by some of the largest companies in the world. Government agencies have mandated it. I work with the largest manufacturers of the equipment that's required to go out and survey the GPS equipment, the equipment that's required to identify the precise location of where utilities and pipelines are buried in the ground. So I think we're well poised to capitalize on what I think this infrastructure bill is going to create. And I think the future is bright for us. And I think, you know, if someone was looking for investment, I think there's there's value in our share price. But again, you know, I don't I don't have a crystal ball. I can only base it on what we've done in the past, particularly in the last eight months, and what we have in our sales pipeline right now, the customers that we're talking to, the infrastructure bill, as I mentioned, what I think is going to take place, you know, for example, over the next eight months, particularly over the next three months, but even over the next eight months, over the next 18 months, over the next 24 months, um, I think long term, there's incredible value in our share price for investors right now. And I know you're you're not you're not really allowed to say very much about you know the future of ProStar because obviously you're aware of a lot of information um, um, yep. that's confidential. Um, but looking ahead over the next six months, um, just finally, um, from a sort of your as a, your perspective as a CEO of ProStar, what what would you most like to see for you know, the company achieving, um, say between now and and the end of March to, to make you really happy? I would like to see where, as opposed to where we have to go out and talk to potential clients, explain to them what it is that we do, how disruptive it is, and then have them where they have to test it. Because what they, what they normally do is they're not going to change what they're currently doing because this is just too new. So what they do is they have to run what we do parallel with their current business practices. And then if they like it, then they adopt it because, you know, th there's a lot of risk and liability anytime you adopt a new, innovative, disruptive technology. That's why they call them early adopters, the companies that are early adopters that are looking to change the way things are currently being done. Okay, but it takes time. And I'm going to give you an example. To get to the point where CDOT mandated our software that took two years okay two years of literally testing it okay i have now large engineering and surveying firms that have been well entrenched in their current business practices for well over 25 or 30 years it took many of them over a year to test our software before they finally adopted it okay now what's happening is i have companies calling us I don't have to reach out to them because they're hearing about this name ProStar and this product Pointman. And they're calling us and then they ask us if they can test it for six days. Well, there's a big difference in the sales cycle of, you know, one to two years and six days. So where I want this to get to is to the point where companies are calling us 
and they don't even need to test it for six days. We've got the credibility in the market, we've got the reputation, we've got the marquee client list, and they know that it works. And I think somewhere between now and I'm just guessing six months, just because I'm seeing how things are starting to progress and we're starting to shorten that sales cycle. And in fact, people are, you know, companies are reaching out to us. That's going to be a pivotal point for us because it significantly reduces the amount of time that it takes to sell to them. But also, I don't have to spend a bunch of resources, marketing efforts, trying to communicate and reach out to these companies. We just become a name that's out in the market that these companies know that if they don't use this new software, then they're going to fall behind what other companies are doing. And that's a trajectory and ramp up that you want to see in any company. And I think that over the next six to 12 months, we could see that. And again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm basing it on everything that's been taking place, particularly, as I mentioned, over the last eight months. We're starting to see a lot of activity in the market. We're starting to see a lot of adoption. I've shortened the sales cycle down. We've got uh, companies that are calling us. I've also moved into the utility industry now. I've moved into the municipal industry. I've got companies testing what we're doing in other countries. We've introduced a new product, as I mentioned, that's revolutionary, that works anywhere in the world. So we're well poised, and I'm really starting to see, as I mentioned, just a ramp up in the excitement and the activities in the market that I think are a pretty good indicator of what's to come in the future. Well, thank you very much indeed for that, Paige. Um, that, that's fantastic. We'll obviously be keeping a close eye on the, on the stock and on progress with the company um, as we go through the autumn. Um, thank, thanks for coming on today. Well, I appreciate it. And my, uh, you know, my closing statement always is, and I like this, is the, the proof, my grandma used to say this, right? The proof is in the pudding. And what I tell everyone is just be patient or put us on your radar and watch ProStar over the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And at some point, I think that just based on our execution and the milestones we're going to be achieving, that will exude confidence investors into investors that uh, they want to be involved in ProStar. And uh, investors can find you. You're listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker MAPS, M-A-P-S, and also on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange as well. Well, we should probably mention a major milestone as well uh, in closing. So, you know, we are a U.S. company. Uh, uh, most of our clients are U.S.-based. This is a huge uh, U.S. problem. And one of the things I always wanted to do was to list on the OTCQB which we recently did as well. So we're now trading uh, in the United States under the ticker symbol M-A-P-P-F. That's F for Freddy. And I'm also starting to focus, yeah, I'm also starting to focus a lot of our uh, marketing in the U.S. because obviously as far as the capital markets are concerned, I mean, you know, this is the, this is the, the biggest capital market uh, in the world. So it gives us also tremendous opportunity uh, to start to focus um, on the U.S. capital markets. And so our listing on the OTCQB was also a major milestone that we achieved uh, this year. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time there, Paige. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, happy to talk to you uh, anytime and give uh, everyone an update once again in the near future. So thank you. Thanks a lot. 
You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.